This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. And we had a major announcement affecting our older demographic this morning. For weeks now, people have been complaining that seniors were left off the very long list of groups that have received emergency aid from Ottawa. Today, Minister for Seniors Deb Schultz and the Prime Minister announced a one-time tax-free payment of 300 bucks for everyone who's eligible for old age security and an initial 200 and an additional $200 for those who also get the guaranteed income supplement. There was actually lots of criticism when this was announced saying that it wouldn't solve any problem for more than a month or so. And Premier Doug Ford had another do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do moment yesterday when he shared his family's Mother Day Mother's Day celebration that involved six people, not everyone from the same household. So we want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, let's bring in John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, former City Councilor and current CEO of Variety Village, as well as Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Hello and welcome to you all. Hello, Libby. Hi, Libby. Okay, so let's start. Uh, is that, are those two one-time payments the right way to go to address the issue of uh, seniors who are having a lot of extra expenses because of this? Karen? Well, I, I think, you know, again, it's probably not enough for some and sufficient for others. And so I would imagine that some seniors that are uh, have the benefit of family supports or community supports, uh, this will Will, will will be enough, but for others, again, it, it, they'll they'll need more. So, um, I it's a difficult difficult issue to tackle. I think it's a good first step, and you know, hopefully, out of this becomes a discussion about who does need more and, and how do we make sure that those needs are met. Um, it it is it's it's just it's difficult with a blanket policy to make sure that you're getting everyone's needs met. Well, yeah, just to clarify on what those extra costs would be, I mean, uh, now instead of getting a three month supply of drugs, uh, you're limited to one month, which means that you you've got to pay the copays and uh, the uh, dispensing fees. However, they're they're calculated there, and if you are somebody on a fixed income who's taking multiple medications. That can add up very quickly, and it also depends which province you live in, but we're here in Ontario. And also, you know, seniors, older people have been told not to leave their homes, and if they don't have someone to bring them stuff, they've got to pay delivery fees, and I would imagine that that also can add up. So that's basically the nature of the extra costs. Uh, Charles, is, uh, is that enough, what the government is doing? 
No, I think you've summed up the situation, and I, I think CARP deserves a big shout out for its continuing advocacy at what's, you know, obviously a critical time for seniors. And you know, they've identified that there are increased costs of living as a result of of the virus. You know, because of grocery premiums and development delivery fees and because of increases in prescription medicine fees. And so a big shout out to uh, Marissa Lennox and all the great work that CARP is doing in that regard. Absolutely. Uh, And Marissa will be coming up uh, later on around 1240 in the show. I just quickly say, I mean, just to reiterate what you said, this new program is worth $2.5 billion, and it's expected to help 6.7 million older Canadians. It's also very targeted to those who who need the money right now, which is to say um, folks who qualify for the old age security premium will be eligible for a one-time tax repayment of $300, and those eligible for the guaranteed income supplement will get an extra $200 on top of that to a maximum of $500. Is it enough in the longer term? No, I'm not sure it is. But, you know, the the approach of the government has not been to wave a magic wand and to decide, okay, you're getting this, you're getting this, you're getting this, everything's done. The government is taking a very, very measured, responsive approach and essentially doing these things in real time as needs emerge. And I think that's the responsible way of doing things. And it may be if, you know, the pandemic continues at, at its current breadth and in terms of its impacts, it may be that we will have to see another round of similar funding in, in the weeks or months ahead. Yeah, I mean, we'll be, we will be talking to Marissa later. And, and um, you know, just as a heads up, she thinks it's a good start, but, but it doesn't address some sort of basic issues of retirement security. Uh, John, do you have uh, any other thoughts on, on that payment? Well, I think it's it's good news um, for sure, I, I, and I, but I also hasten to say that it might be too little, too late in, in some respects, and, and maybe never too late. It's better better late than never. Um, but this this is an issue, especially around seniors, that that the prime minister has been saying from the get go that during this COVID pandemic, that the seniors would be the most vulnerable and the most hard hit. Uh, and the fact that we're two months into it, uh, and he made this announcement, um, you know, is a bit is a bit you know concerning in some ways. And I think it it obviously, you know, given all the discussions we've had with seniors in the long-term care facilities and what we've been seeing going on there, that that the pressure was mounting for him to make an announcement on, on seniors, because I know that he's had questions about this uh, in his daily scrums for some time, and, and things were, were coming. So, you know, look, I, I'm glad that it, it, it came. Uh, it is an announcement that's going to help uh, the vulnerable and, and the seniors. And, and I do think, though, that, you know, some of the issues are that, that he needs to address are something that he's talked about even during an election campaign when he's talked about increasing old age security and, and increasing and adding to the CPP, uh, the Canada Pension Plan. Those are issues that, that he's made during election campaigns that have yet to materialize. Um, so, you know, I think that this will at least get the debate started, quite frankly, Libby, you know, on, on how much and, and how much more further he can go in supporting seniors at a time when they are vulnerable. And uh, there were there were a, a bunch of other announcements, including uh, in in that. I mean, I'll, I'll drill down on it with Marissa a little later on the show in terms of uh, filing taxes and uh, other other things like that. Uh, but the prime minister also reiterated that 
uh, Ottawa will have a role in helping to fix long-term care, which is a provincial responsibility. And, and he, he could be wading into it because uh, you never want to step on the province's toes. But there's there's more and more talk that maybe uh, the federal government should take over some aspect of that. Uh, Karen, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, in light of how hard the long-term care facilities have been hit. I think there is a natural desire for the federal government to, to want to come in with some national standards around care. And, uh, but I, I think it's also fair to say it's hit Ontario and Quebec um, much more acutely than some of the other provinces. So um, there's, there's that tendency to want to step in and fix something that you see is broken. I think that um, as the days and months unfold and there is... Um, you know, now is not the time to be coming in to do it. I think it's completely appropriate for the federal government to express its interest in making sure it gets fixed. And if there is an appropriate role to play, then to play that role. But I, I think as, as the, the crisis, um, you know, begins to soften, I think that it, it, it is a provincial jurisdiction, and I think that provinces are better able to manage long-term care. The national standards, um, I think, are appropriate and probably would be welcome but, but ultimately, the fix is going to be in Ontario, and I think that uh, Premier Ford was right to say that um, there will be a review, and it will be the legislature that will be involved in that review. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. The opposition leader, who I will also be talking to after the panel, you know, she's been calling for a, an independent inquiry, and a lot of stakeholders say, we don't need another inquiry. inquiry. We know what the problems yeah. are. Let's w- save that money and spend it on fixing things. Yeah, and I, I, and I think that's the right approach. I, I, I think that um, this has revealed all the cracks and the gaps um, and how... Um, and how the, the, there needs to be a new approach to how long-term care facilities are managed and staffed and funded. And, and I think that is right to say we don't need more time to assess it. We know. Let's just now move to the fix. Charles? Yeah, that really speaks to the need for the federal government to partner with the provinces to, and in quoting the prime minister, to find lasting solutions. That's not about the federal government telling the provinces how it's going to be. But we have to be very cognizant of the fact that, you know, 80% of all COVID-19 related deaths have taken place in long-term care facilities and nursing homes. Uh, there's no time for a political inquiry. That's just political grandstanding. Um, and nor is there time for a lengthy reflective debate on what form of you know changes are necessary we have to be very conscious of the fact that the second wave of the pandemic which is expected in the fall in conjunction with influenza season could be even worse than what we've seen now so that suggests to me that the provinces and the federal government really need to start working um, immediately on addressing what could be an even bigger problem in the coming weeks and months ahead. And, you know, that goes to PPE, that goes to protocols around staffing. It may very well go to ensuring that the the folks that are working in nursing homes are getting the kind of compensation they deserve because they have absolutely been at the front lines. They've exposed themselves to the virus. They've been, in many instances, remarkably selfless and even heroic. And, you know, it's time for a great reckoning coming out of this thing. Yeah, and it'll be uh, an expensive 
reckoning when it happens. John Cavalbianco, let us uh, turn to something a little lighter. So it, it looks like the premier had another do as I say, not as I do moment yesterday that left a lot of people scratching their heads. He, you know, without being asked, told us about his Mother's Day celebrations. And he had uh, two of his four daughters who don't live uh, with him. They joined the rest of the family for Mother's Day celebration. There was no talk about physical distancing. Uh, you know, the the rules are no more than five, and you're not supposed to have people outside your immediate family. And, and frankly, a, a lot of people adhere to that. You know, they said, I'm not having my kids. I'm not having my grandkids. Uh, was that a misstep that he did that and told us all about it? I think I, I just, uh, you know, it's one of those issues where um, unfortunate that it, that it obviously happened. And I think that, you know, the premier who has been doing a phenomenal job um, over this, uh, over the course of this, uh, of the pandemic crisis, um, you know, probably probably just decided that he wanted to have his, his kids over, the, the two girls over, and, and realized that it might have been uh, safe to do so. And 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 fact that he's already been saying, um, and in some cases, as as we've been talking about recovery and, and loosening up the, the the rules a bit, uh, he's always cautioned that you should do it at, based on what you think is is appropriate. And and again, you I know, don't remember him I, doing that before yesterday, actually. Well, his message has been different. Is like toe the line, people. Yeah, you know, and again, I, I know, and, and he's a leader. Uh, he's a premier, and, and, and people do look up to him and, and see him as a as a leader and as a role model. Um, so, from that perspective, I think you know it's unfortunate, but but I do think that you know he would probably be one that would 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 have exercised extreme caution and and doing that, and and I think that you know others. I, listen, I, I live in a condo that overlooks the Gardner Expressway. And I saw a huge multitude of cars on the Gardner uh, on Sunday that I've never seen for the last, you know, two months. So I would suspect a lot of folks sort of went out and, and decided to do some some Mother's Day celebration in ways that, you know, would have been social distancing. And, and we're not saying that, that he didn't ex- experience that or, or practice that at home. Um, but I did I did notice that on Sunday there was a huge amount of volume on, on, on cars on the Gardner that I haven't seen in the last two months. And uh, Charles, what do you think? I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure he's going to sustain a lot of political damage. And I also noticed that when John Tory and the uh, public officers of health were asked about it, they kind of didn't answer, except for Tory gave a good answer, you know, saying, when I talk to him next, I'm going to ask him for more money, not about this. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm generally not a fan of, you know, gotcha politics, where our leaders get dumped on for stuff that the rest of us would think is understandable. And I was even willing to cut the premier some slack on, you know, his quickie trip to the cottage Friday, to, check yeah. on, to check on the pipes, right? But having folks from outside your home over for dinner, even if they're immediate family, is a terrible, terrible miscalculation on his part. And I get that we all want to be with our families, especially after a couple of months of not seeing many of our loved ones. I get that a father wants to see his children, but what I don't get is how the premier could have been blind to the fact that millions of Ontarians have agreed to play by the rules, which is to to take the instruction that they should only interact with people in their own households, which is arguably the single most important thing we can be doing to stop the spread of the virus. I mean, my mother lives three kilometers away, one of the most important people in my life, and 
I, I just understand we can't take any chances, right? And as a result, we talk all the time, but we haven't seen each other in two months. And, you know, this, this may seem like an innocuous decision to have his daughters over to his house for dinner, but the Premier is sending a terrible mixed message to Ontarians. And, frankly, it's caused a lot of anger and disternation on the part of a great many people, because fundamentally people expect their leaders to play by the same rules as everyone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why he even, he seemed to volunteer the information. I, I, I'm I sort of scratching just, my head about why he did to, that. To what he was saying. Right? Sorry, what? It was just, I think he may just have, must have had some sort of blind spot on it, just given the singularity of the message of it, stay within your own household for the purposes of defeating the virus. He just, he, I guess it, it was just like it uh, a momentary twig. blip. Mm-hmm. Karen? Yeah, I, 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 I don't agree, actually. I, I think that, um, to, you know, as John mentioned, and certainly as I saw this weekend, people are coming out of their homes. Uh, Young Street was busy, Mount Pleasant was busy, the gardener was busy. You know, I, I think that part of what um, part of what's being reflected, and and it's unfortunate that there is anger out there because I, I think that there is a general sense that families want to reunite, and um, if we've all been self isolating for this period of time and we've not been going to work and we've been adhering to all the rules and we know we're not at risk and we have a chance to reunite as a family, I I don't I I'm not angry about it. I'm not. I mean, I, I think that maybe there there could have been some better messaging before Mother's Day about if you see your mother, if you have a, a plan to see your mother, here's, re, re, you know, remember to social distance and, and do those things. But I, I, I think that it is, it is time to say to Ontarians, look, this virus is here. It's here until the fall. We don't know how long it's going to be here for. We, and, I, and I don't think it's reasonable to say to families that you need to be separate for the length of the duration of this virus, that somehow we need to begin that discussion about... Um, understanding what our risks are, what our responsibilities to public health are, but also understanding the importance of families and being reunited again. I, you know, Charles, your dad, your mom lives three kilometers away. I haven't seen my dad. My dad's 90. Um, I look forward to that opportunity, and, and I'm hoping that, that we will be able to have those discussions around how do we begin to interact again, because it's, people will either do it themselves or they'll wait for some guidance. And I think now is the time to be having that discussion about guidance. Let's uh, hear from Jane in Coburg. Hi, Jane. Oh, hi. Um, I would just like to say that early April in Scotland, uh, the Minister of Health, Catherine Calderwood, twice went to her summer home um, after she had said, stay home, stay home, stay home. Uh, The uproar caused her, eventually, she resigned. And I'm thinking we have leaders at Easter that said one thing and did another, and we've just had another one now on Mother's Day. And and on his uh, trip to the cottage. She resigned. Okay, Jane. We're here, you. I think think we know what you're getting at. Thanks for your call. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, it's it's the same thing if you're the leader. and, And Doug Ford has been getting very high marks for his leadership throughout this, uh, you know, let's reiterate that. But uh, if you're the leader, people expect you to lead by example. Silence. <laughs> yeah, well, but I, as well, I said, Libby, like, I think that people um, are starting to get together for social distance cocktails. They are starting to have walks in the park at a social distance, um, social distance walks and social distance runs. Like, it's, people are starting to do that. 
And so I, I think that um, it is time that we acknowledge that and not, not and then have that discussion about what that means. Well, yeah, yeah. And we've been we were given the go ahead to do those kinds of things outdoors. The message wasn't stay indoors anymore recently, but we weren't given the go ahead for for dinner inside with your families. But anyway, yeah. who wanted to jump in there? Well, no, John. maybe it's, it's, it's John. I, I listen, I, I, I agree. I, I think it was, an, was unfortunate, obviously, but, but I wouldn't take away the, the amazing work and, and that he's been doing not only as premier uh, with respect to the funding announcements and getting out there on a daily basis, but also just, um, you know, making sure that, he, that there is transparency out there. And the fact that he did mention it, and I, you know, and obviously he felt there was no risk involved because it wasn't involving any, any uh, seniors, uh, or any anybody of that 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 nature, but again, I wouldn't judge I wouldn't judge him based on that uh, over the course of the last two months that he's been able to do. And I don't think there might be some people that are that are might be upset at him. I don't think it's widespread as Charles indicates. I think that people are giving him a bit of a buy with respect to you know the fact that he's been doing what he's doing and, and is out there on a on a regular basis. Um, you know, not only making announcements, but physically, you know, moving parts and, and doing what he can to get PPEs out to, to those that need it. So at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think it's, it's, it's an unfortunate story, but, uh, but it also is an, an indication uh, that people are starting to think about recovery and, and the next steps. And uh, Premier Ford, if you're listening, we want that cheesecake recipe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's very, it's misstep, very good. Right? It's, it's a misstep. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, there have obviously been huge problems around testing in Ontario, around long-term care facilities in Ontario, but in terms of how the Premier has conducted himself, he's been, you know, very solid. Some would suggest note perfect, which makes this a little more concerning. Um, but I, really, the bigger issue is the whole notion of when do we stop social distancing or physical distancing, because it remains a cornerstone of our strategy to defeat the virus. And one of the things that concerns me is we're starting to see more ideology creeping into these issues, which is to see, you know, we've seen organized protests in Canada and the U.S. saying, open the economy now, you know, regardless of all of our efforts to date to spread, to contain the spread of the virus through social distancing, working at home, what have you. In Georgia, where they began easing restrictions on April 24th, we've seen a 64% increase in the number of new cases as a result of early efforts to open up the economy. And, you know, we even saw some comments from Aaron O'Toole on the weekend that the government should have paid businesses before paying individual Canadians, notwithstanding the fact that millions of Canadians, through zero fault of their own, have found themselves, you know, with no money coming in in dire economic straits. And the bottom line is that the virus doesn't care about political ideology. It doesn't care whether Trump is re-elected in November. And if we continue to pursue a blind path of ideology, be it conservative or otherwise, hundreds of thousands more people are going to die as a result yeah, but, of this but, virus. Hey, Charles, okay. I'm, I, all I'm going to say is that I, I really don't think you can compare the situation here with the situation in the United States. Oh, we've seen uh, protests on the lawn of Queen's Park. I know, Park. but I mean, they weren't very been, big. It's... We've, got, we've, got, so we've got media commentators saying we should be firing civil servants in Ontario, left, right, and center, because they've got it too good. I mean, these are, these are traditional finger-pointing exercises based at wedge policy. Well, but wait a minute, let me, highly let, let, me, let me jump in there. You know, there is a big divide. 
And the big divide is between workers, uh, government workers, and private sector workers in terms of the hit that they're taking. And also there's a divide uh, between unionized and, and non-unionized workers. And uh, you're right, people are losing their jobs through no fault of their own. And I think there is a legitimate question, uh, you know, uh, about you know, who is bearing the brunt of this and, and what is the fairness to that? Yeah, absolutely. I would also say that the, the whole notion of pursuing an ideological agenda around the pandemic has big implications in terms of how hate is perpetrated. We've already seen a lot of negativity directed towards Asian Canadians, Asian Americans. It won't be long before we see sim- you know similar xenophobic sentiments expressed you know, whether it's anti-Semitism or what have you. I mean, oh, these things already, come, these gone things up come as a package, the and, they're, and they're fueled by economic distress. Sure. And but, these are things we have to be watching for very, very carefully. Yeah, and I think on that is that um, given that we're going to have to live with this, this virus um, in our midst for some time, that um, we, need, we need to be um, putting in place restrictions and, and guidelines that can last. And that's part of our challenge is that we don't know what those lasting, I mean, we do know that we need to have social distancing. That's a fact of life. And so, and if you can't have social distancing, then you need to have personal protective equipment. But part of our ability to continue on to get the public buy-in to what we need to do to move forward and continue to keep the virus contained is also the reasonableness of the restrictions that we have for months and months and months ahead, not, not weeks we can't measure it by weeks. We have to start thinking months in advance now. So what is so saying you can't see your family for a month? That's not a restriction that will will, will stand the test of time. So we need to move the needle to what are the restrictions that we're going to be looking at for the next six months. I think that we are very fortunate in that uh, we're not first. Uh, we're one of the later outbreaks, and and we are going to get to see the results of loosening restrictions in other jurisdictions. And we've even seen that in some of the places that had real success, like Singapore, like uh, South Korea, that that we've started to see, uh, you know, new outbreaks. And uh, there's even uh, some new cases in Wuhan, China. So uh, hopefully we can draw the correct conclusions from that before we get to that point. Anyway, we're basically out of time. Um, Do you guys want 10 seconds each or should we just wrap it up? Well, let me let me just say, Libby, I'm just going to say regarding the, the U.S. And, and that we're nowhere near the U.S. with respect to, to, to this issue and how they've been handling it versus how we've been handling it. And, and you Thank know, there, there was 40, 40 people at Queen's Park that were complaining about it and wanting to open up is, is not what the U.S. is going through. But more importantly, you know, Dr. Fauci has said that there could be devastation for those states that have reopened the way they have. And I think that's a lesson to us. And I think our leaders have been, including our prime minister, have been much more cautious. Uh, cautious about about reopening, notwithstanding, you know, Premier Legault and the fact that he had to backtrack on his opening and, and how he wanted to open up. But I think we're a far more cautious country uh, in, in citizenship, citizenry with respect to how we're doing it. And I think we're doing it right. Okay. Uh, I would just add, you know, and I, I hate to say this, but I, I think there's a good possibility that the economic news in both Canada and the U.S. is going to get worse rather than better. I mean, we are likely to see um, unemployment numbers in the coming months 
that exceed what we've seen over recent days. And the numbers we've seen over recent days are, are really disheartening. The good news is that when we do get past this, this will not be like coming out of an ordinary recession. Um, this will be very different, and the rebound is likely to be a lot faster. And I note that the Financial Accountability of Ontario, Office of Ontario has said that their, their projection is of 8.5% growth in GDP in Ontario next year, and I take that to be a very good sign. Thank you so much to our strategy panel, Karen Stintz, Charles Bird, and John Capobianco. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.